I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light on Light Through, episode 317, a conversation I had with Captain Phil, a.k.a. Phil Merkel, on WUSB Radio this past Sunday evening. It was about the January 6th House Committee hearings, and at that time there had just been one hearing the previous Thursday. We talked a lot about that, but what we said also pertains to the ongoing hearings. So here, without further ado, is my conversation with Captain Phil about the January 6th House Committee meetings regarding, of course, the insurrection, the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. The Light on Light Through podcast. And my guest is here, Paul Levinson, who I, you're still on vacation, Paul. Uh, well, listen, I'm always on vacation <laughs> and always working because I, you know, I enjoy doing this kind of thing. So I'm, I'm permanently on vacation, even when I'm in a classroom teaching, and even when I have such an onerous task, like having a conversation with you. <laughs> that is an onerous task. You know, you should talk to my wife. <laughs> it's like, this Listen, guy, I, I, this guy again? <laughs> I don't know. It's amazing she can take it. I, I know. I think, you know, there's, there's got to be some medication going around somewhere that she's <laughs> hidden from me. <laughs> Yeah, I thought when I heard you do the introduction at first for a brief fleeting moment, I thought you were apologizing because I was the guest. No, on the show. no, uh, this is this is completely 180 degrees opposite of what Christian usually talks about. And, uh, and, and you know, we love all the DJs. We're not I'm not going to trash DJs. I'm just warning people in advance that this ain't. This is, you know, this 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 is this is different than what you're used to. So, uh, so I'm apologizing in advance. And Christian should be back in two weeks, and he will save you. <laughs> but I was I was joking around earlier and saying that I'm going to rename the show the Karmark Socialism Hoedown. <laughs> That's a good name for a show. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's got that Monty Python, you know, uh, twinge to it. So uh, absolutely. <laughs> Yes. So um, before we get into the thick of it, and I want to first of all, I want to thank you. We we talked about gun uh, control for two solid hours two weeks ago, and uh, and and it was it was just great, and it really uh, it was a lot. You know, it was it was it was intense, uh, but it was an intense subject. This is also an intense subject, um, and we're going to talk about it a bit. I think we're going to mostly focus on how the committee is being presented on television but before we get into all that fun stuff um you are a musician a teacher a writer an international man of mystery um <laughs> so uh please paul tell us where people can read your blogs find your books and dig your tunes man <laughs> well they can find my tunes to start there any place that you listen to music uh my albums and singles are on Spotify, Apple Music, any and every place. So just go on to your favorite music provider and type in my name and you'll get my latest material. In addition to that, my oldest material, which goes back to the 1960s. This is even before Twice Upon a Rhyme, my first album in 1972. In the last couple of years, I've been rediscovering these old either cassette tapes or acetates uh, that you can barely hear and do my best to soup them up and put them out there. As far as my books are concerned, the same thing applies to Amazon. Just search on my name on Amazon. The latest thing I'm working on, which I was working on a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about gun control, is I am converting an alternate history short story that I wrote uh, early this year. Uh, it's real life, which Beatle fans will no doubt recognize as the original name that John Lennon had for the song that the Beatles recorded after John Lennon died. And by then, Lennon had changed the name to It's Real Love. Anyway, 
the story is called It's Real Life. You can search for it online and read it for free. I'm now uh, expanding that into a novel. And I'm not sure how far I was last time you and I talked, but I was so inspired by our heated conversation that I'm now in the middle of the third chapter, so it's going very well. And in another couple of years, soon to be a Netflix uh, streaming series, I hope, knock on wood. Absolutely. So I'm doing my best to try to keep Netflix alive. Yes. I'm, I'm trying to give rave reviews to as many <laughs> Netflix shows as possible. Please, I'm working on this novel. I'm depending on it being on Netflix. By the way, I should mention I do have a novel at the Chronology Protection case. A fellow by the name of Jay Kensinger made this into a short film, and it is on Amazon Prime. Not on Netflix, but if you're interested in seeing how my work comes out when someone makes a movie out of it, you can check out the Chronology Protection case. And you also review a lot of uh, streaming media. I believe uh, you were reviewing um, Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. You've been talking about the latest Star Treks. Um, I believe, did you also uh, review For All Mankind, or am I switching that in my, in my mind? Uh, no, you're completely okay. right. In fact, I'm happy you're following my work so closely. I reviewed it just today. Uh, I have uh, yeah. to tell any uh, fans of that show, the third season just put up its first episode, I guess, on Friday, uh, 12 o'clock midnight New York time, which is always nice. One of the things Apple TV Plus does. And I have to say, th that show was outstanding. In addition to the alternate history, for example, I'm not giving anything really away uh, to tell you that one of the lead characters, a woman who went from being an astronaut to a politician in 1992, which is when this uh, episode takes place, she is running for president uh, as a Republican against the governor of a southern state, the one and only Bill Clinton. And, and also in this alternate history, uh, Gary Hart uh, was president. I guess they didn't catch him uh, on that yacht with whoever the name was. So, you know, it, just if you're a fan of alternate history, it's great. But it just is a really exciting space program because, again, if anyone listening has watched the show, it's really a brilliant idea. It starts out with one thing that's different. The Russians, the Soviets beat us to the moon by a month back at the end of the 1960s. And because of that, everything else changes. Uh, Teddy Kennedy is elected uh, president. Uh, the, obviously, the Soviet Union does not collapse, and so the US and the Soviets are still in competition in the 1990s. And Ronald D. Moore is the person who's behind this. Battlestar Galactica, um, later seasons of Star Trek, uh, uh, did he work on Voyager or was it just Next Generation? I'm, I'm thinking. I think it's just Next Generation. He uh, wrote, a, I, not maybe like as many as four, I was going to say a couple, but maybe as many as four or five scripts for episodes. And by the way, there's a great story behind that. He was a kid pretty much, you know, a teenager. He showed up on some tour of Star Trek uh, studios and brought along a script and tried to submit it. And someone saw him doing that and told him how to submit a script. And that script was bought by Star Trek The Next Generation. So he got a great start. And obviously, he knew what he was doing even as a kid back then. And like you, Paul, has attended ICON, the late lamented science fiction convention of Stony Brook University, um, and was also a guest um, uh, on Destiny's The Voice of Science Fiction, just like you. Um, I remember the night he was live on the air um, in the old studio uh, back in the old student union. It was it was quite the night. He was there. Um, the the woman who played Ursa from Superman Two was there, and my friend Bill Latham was there, and he was sitting next to uh, the actress whose name eludes me at this moment. And Bill tells me that uh, Ursa put her hand on his knee, and he is never recovered. <laughs> Love at first sight for him. But but yes. yeah, Ron is just just amazing. So this he's he's a consummate uh, professional and he's I mean his work on Battlestar Galactica was brilliant. I hear Outlander is fantastic. 
It is. Um, so, so in this, it just gets better and better and better. So, uh, kudos. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I was at that icon indeed, and I remember he, he during his talk, and I can't remember who his name was, uh, is you might remember it. Somebody asked him what role the original, the producer of the original Battlestar Galactica, has had on the reboot because he's listed <laughs> right exactly as one of the executive producers, and so you know, he's in charge of cashing the check. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, more just like you know, looks the question straight in the eye and says, basically. Other than seeing his name on the screen, that's the only contact I've had with him. Because this is the way Hollywood works. So. Yeah. Well, actually, um, uh, I'm not going to say who I heard this story from, but it's from, I will tell you off the air. But I heard that the one um, requirement for them to get the rights to do that show, Battlestar Galactica Reboot, was that uh, Glenn Larson insisted on the ending, the way it ended. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Because so, I didn't like the ending. No, no. But when I mean, when it got to the very, very end, you know, and, and I mean, I, I well, yeah, we're going off topic. Well, but without, but without, <laughs> yeah, I just want to say, without giving away too much, that ending was the second worst ending of any <laughs> science fiction television. The worst is I keep on saying every chance I get after all these years, I'm still so annoyed by the ending, was the idiotic ending of Lost. <laughs> Here we are. We're all we're all sitting together. Oh, we're cuddling up, laughing. You're all dead. What are you so happy about? But but the ending of the Battlestar Galactica reboot, where just about everyone and their grandmother turned out to be Cylons, was uh, yes, not the greatest. You know? Well, you know, I'll say this. I'm going to say this. This is the last thing I'm going to say about this. But um, but um, the thing that made me, the thing that really that as as you know, burned itself into my into my cranium was they had to get rid of the ships at the end of Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, um, and they flew them into the sun. But on the way to the sun, they flew low over the moon where pieces of the plating of the Battlestar Galactica fell off and fell onto the moon. So how is that going to keep it secret? <laughs> I love it. You know, yeah. I'm like, yeah. they're going to find that. That's you know, They're going to land on the moon. That's the first. They're going to be able to find that. They have the instruments on the moon. They're going to be able to detect it. You know, this is, this is a huge piece of metal that came off. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. So, yeah, okay. All right. Well, you know, I will never, never... Um, you know, uh, walk away from an opportunity to talk about Star Trek or Battlestar Galactica. That's, that's, for sure. a, that's a good, good philosophy. Good philosophy. Yeah. Um, the other great show that's on TV premiered on <laughs> Thursday the 9th at eight o'clock. Um, I was riveted to the TV. I felt, uh, that this, I, the, the term that, that runs in my head is that they're pointing this investigation directly at former president Trump and they they want him they want him badly um and they're using I feel like they're doing it this way it's kind of like to catch a thief in order to catch a thief you have to think like a thief in order to catch a reality TV star you have to think like a reality TV star and they sort of gave us a reality TV show uh there um the best one I ever saw um I, I, I was just astonished. It was it was heartbreaking to go and look at that footage again. It was heartbreaking uh, to couple the testimony of that of that young woman uh, with actual footage of her head being bashed against uh, the steps, the concrete steps, and the fact that she got up again. See, we 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 hear these stories about these officers being beaten, beaten down, but we don't know what happened afterwards. Did they get hauled off to the hospital or did they get up and fight on as this woman obviously did? And it's heartbreaking, you know, because they're doing all this to protect these people in the Capitol and half of the people in that building aren't doing anything to help them, <laughs> aren't calling in reinforcements, are doing their darn best to keep this, this thing going. Um, so it was it was kind of riveting it was kind of amazing uh, and I felt very energized and and interested and and I was going to watch it no matter what I just expected it to be like the Watergate hearings and I was a little shocked that it wasn't I expected it to be on 24 hours we were driving to Long Island uh, that day Paul and my wife had uh, a minor um um 
you know, outpatient thing with her back. They were inserting some some hardware into her back, and it was an outpatient thing. And I expected to listen to it on NPR for the entire drive down and the entire drive back. And and I was shocked when it was on at eight o'clock, like like a television show. Um, what's your opinion on that? Well, a couple of things. First of all, I just have to say, and I'm not the first person to say this, but you know, if you think about these hearings, you have to wonder why they're even necessary, given the fact that, for example, we have Trump on tape telling this guy in Georgia, hey, if you can just find me, you know, 17,000 votes, that's all I need. You know, he gives him the exact number. That's outright, you know, it's an outright criminal act. He's literally, and we have his own voice, his own words doing that basically working on a state official to pervert the results uh, of a democratic election. So why Trump right now is still not indicted, still not in jail, when we have not even just a confession, we have literally the act of him trying to pervert the results of that election. I think that's the best word for it. So I I think it's important that we have to keep this in mind. I I think the Democrats and the two Republicans, and in particular, obviously, last Thursday, Liz Cheney, and we should talk more about her, and I will in a minute. But I think it's, it's an indication of how far down the road to fascism our country has come that we even have to have hearings like this. You know, it, it seems to me, Trump, okay, maybe his own appointed attorney general wouldn't have arrested him, but it seems to me that uh, one of the first things, if not the first thing that Merrick Garland did when he was appointed attorney general would have been to uh, arrest Trump. You know, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Maybe I'm missing something. But that's the first thing, and I think it's important to keep that in mind as a background. Is it? Is this, it? Is it? Does it speak to the culture of Washington that the people in Washington get examined and, and play and, and get judged a different way than you or I? You, you know, like the things that you and I, if you and I did the things that they did, if, if I tried to grab a woman by the you-know-what um, and it was on tape, um, I'd be hauled off. You know, if, if, if I... You know, made 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 fun of a of a, a physically handicapped reporter. Uh, I would be shamed out of my profession. I, I'm a retired, you know, I'm a re, I'm a retired teacher, if you know, who work with handicapped kids. You know, um, all these things. It seems like there's a different set of rules or consequences to the ruling elite, especially well, the Republicans. I guess that didn't work so well for Al Franken. <laughs> That's right. And I was going to say, it's not even just politicians. And indeed, it, uh, Al Franken, you know, look, what he did was stupid, you know, mugging like an idiot in that photograph with the woman, you know, sleeping on the chair, you know, in front of him. It was stupid, but it was not assault. But the point is, it's not just politicians, it's Donald Trump. And for some reason, Somehow, we, the people of the United States of America, and apparently even the Attorney General, the current Attorney General, have become so numb to his, it's worse than nonsense, it's it's worse than bullshit, and, you know, we'll get to that in a second, what uh, William Barr aptly uh, called Trump's nonsense about the fact that the election had been stolen from him. It's much worse than that. It's crimes. And again, the difference even between what he said on that bus, you know, about grabbing a woman, okay, that's talk. And that should have knocked him out of the race. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned mentioned Gary Hart before, you know, I mean. That's right. Yeah, (laughs) Gary Hart, right. Well, Gary Hart, in our reality, apparently unlike the alternate reality of, of, the, of this great uh, show for all mankind. In our reality, Gary Hart unwisely teased uh, the press, telling them, hey, you know, why don't you follow me if you think I'm having an affair? They did, and that's what happened. 
But right, if that had been Trump, he, he would have been elected president in 1988. By the way, and as much as we're joking about this in a sarcastic, mm -hmm. cynical way, apparently enough Americans like that, or it's not a problem for them. That's why he was elected president, didn't win the popular vote, but he got plenty of popular votes, enough to win in the right state. So he won the electoral vote in 2016. And let's face it, in 2020, he didn't lose by that many votes. He lost by a very healthy margin in the electoral college again. But in the popular vote, he lost clearly. But if you think about the millions of people who voted for him in 2020, I mean, th that's, you know, the sad thing. But let me just get to the second point, though, about the hearings and about the, what we saw on Thursday and about those police, uh, including th that that brave young policewoman who, right, she's knocked unconscious and then she gets up and she fights for hours and hours. And again, I was thinking this and then I heard someone else talking about it on television. It's an important point. And I guess to what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago about the horrible murder of children in Texas. If you contrast what the Capitol Police did and tried to do to what the Uvalde police did not do, just standing there yeah. for over an hour, and these poor little kids are murdered. Yeah. I mean, it, it just gets you angry and infuriated all over again. And although the hearings were not about the, the urgent, urgent need for some kind of sane gun policy, as soon as the police, you know, became part of that story, which they've been all along, that is in Washington, the brave police, some of whom paid for their bravery with their lives mm -hmm. as they desperately try to keep this this fanatic scum of the earth mob out of the Capitol. When you contrast what those people did with what the people, the cops didn't do in Texas, you know, that itself is a major, major story which needs to be further investigated. That is the Texas part of the story. Mm -hmm. But getting to the hearings themselves, I, they really were, I thought, incredibly effective and eye-opening. And I just want to talk a little bit about Liz Cheney because I can't think of a person with whom I disagreed with more than Liz Cheney. Oh, my goodness. Right? So, oh, my single, goodness. You're so yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. And, but it really did my heart good. It, it you know, probably brought tears to my eyes to see and hear her up there and, and basically getting it so right. You know, one of the high points of the hearings was when she said, you know, Donald Trump is not going to be around forever, yes. but the, the, the people, the Republicans who are supporting them, him, will carry the stain of that dishonor forever. And, you know, she was so articulate and so much on point. I mean, a lot of thoughts went through my mind. I, I, I still think it, it's too bad that she has such different political opinions. I would have loved to have had her on, on our side all along. But at the same time, it did my heart good to see in her someone with whom I so drastically disagree rise to this occasion and take such a courageous, intelligent, articulate stance. And, and, you, I thought, and you would have expected all the Republicans on, on January 6th to do the same. And for a brief moment, Mitch McConnell did and then dialed it back. But Liz had steadfastly maintained this. I feel Liz is a little untouchable. She's a Cheney. She doesn't need the job, you know? Right. Um, so I feel that she can have that sort of higher moral calling, you know? Um, and she still believes in democracy. And to contrast it with her colleagues... It's obvious that there are two Republican parties. There's the ones that believe in democracy, and they're the ones that are working to overthrow it. Yeah, look, I honestly don't understand someone like Mitch McConnell. You know, and I'm, when I say honestly, that's true. I really do not understand what makes him tick. I know that he values power above all else, 
but surely he doesn't value power over his own life. He, he could have been killed that day. And frankly, I don't even fully understand Mike Pence. I mean, let's just look at that for a moment, because he is going to be playing an increasingly important role in these hearings. He does the right thing on that day. He, st he too, stands up for democracy. And he, too, goes even beyond what most of the other people are doing. He stands up there and he's presiding over the counting of the votes that are putting a nail, a justified Democratic with a small D nail into the coffin of Donald Trump, at least as far as that election, that election. But since then, although he occasionally defends himself, my wife Tina reminded me since that day on January 6th, Mike Pence has said he'd vote for Trump again. So can you understand that? I can't. You they would have dragged him if they had caught him they would have dragged him out to those gallows what about his wife wasn't his grandchildren there that day yep that's right what was going to happen to those people were they going to get killed were they going to get killed on live tv they were definitely going to do that to nancy pelosi that's right you know I, so, you know it, it, it's beyond belief this is a man who who trump picked as his running mate and he's and he's going after and and still will not deny the man. He still bows to him. It's it's unbelievable. Unless it there's something and coming down the pike that we don't know about, you know? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, but, but look, you know, history will say that we do have to give credit to Pence for doing the right thing at that crucial time. So that is very important. That act did save our democracy. But... One of the things I think that it's important to understand and why these hearings are so important is I think that most Americans, by the way, including me, and uh, probably including you, we don't fully understand how fascism works because we were not brought up in Nazi Germany or Italy at the time that Mussolini ascended to power. We were brought up in a democracy when there were leaders with fascist-like intentions and actions, like Nixon, uh, he was pretty quickly put down, right? Like Goldwater and the Republicans go to him after the Watergate hearings that you were just talking about, you know, earlier uh, began. And Nixon says to them, uh, they tell him, that, you know, you not looking too good in these hearings. And Nixon says, well, I know I can count on your support, right? And Goldwater says, no, you can't. And that's what got him to resign. But they had not... I remember that night. Come. I remember the night yeah. he resigned. I remember. That's right. Yeah. But I think a lot of these Republicans have succumbed to the tentacles of fascism. Look, they wouldn't be in politics in the first place if they didn't love power. They wouldn't be in politics if they didn't love fame. They want to constantly be in the headlines. And look, you and I can understand this. We like fame, too. We may not like power that much, but you wouldn't be, you know, doing a radio show. I wouldn't be interviewed on your show, talking my head off in books, my own podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. We're very, like we're very famous. Too. We're very famous, yes. We'll be signing <laughs> autographs after the show, boys and girls. Yeah, um, yes. <laughs> right. Hey, it says... My tens hey, of listeners. After, yeah, after, <laughs> after this conversation is over, Captain Phil will tell you where you can sign a piece <laughs> of paper autograph. <laughs> anyway, but... But the fact is, I, I think the, the road to fascism is paved with the fame that these nascent fascists want. As a matter of fact, I think that even pertains to, to these vile people who actually attacked the Capitol uh, you know, on January 6th. If you, you've seen some of the interviews with them, mm -hmm. and I thought those interviews in, during the, the hearing on Thursday were very interesting as well, that the documentary filmmaker captured. And you can see how their eyes lit up. They were loving being talked about. They were loving thinking that they're going to become famous. That, that was what was being basically 
dazzling them, hanging like fruit right in front of their eyes. They're all they're all else. live streaming it with their cell phones when they when they, when they're bashing in people's heads and and and, and smashing windows and they're photographing it on their cell phones and live streaming it. It's like somebody stealing a car and putting it on Facebook Live while they're doing it. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Well, I remember, I don't know if you recall this, in the earliest days of YouTube, so we're talking about maybe 2006, 2007, 2008, there was a brief rash of basically kids, teenagers, beating up another kid. Yes. But making a video and putting that on YouTube. And the cops are like basically almost laughing, saying, well, thanks very much. You gave us all the evidence we need. Yeah. And it took a while before they wisened up these kids and stopped doing that. But for a while, they kept on doing it because they didn't care. They had no problem being arrested. The important thing to them is, hey, everybody is looking at my video. And that's what fame does to people. And, and I think that's part of what the motive was as well. So, look, as far as these hearings are concerned, good. These criminals, this depraved mob will get what it wanted. It'll be, they'll be famous, but they'll be able to spend their famous years in jail. The thing that frightens me, though, is um, now that that's happened and the consequences are all out there, there are more Proud Boys. You know, there are more um, MAGAs. There's a MAGA army out there. It, I feel like there's a MAGA army out there um, watching this and watching everything that's gone down since January 6, 2021, and taking notes. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something else that I was thinking about, and it's very disturbing. And I hate to say this because I think we do need to have the hearings. But if you are a person with MAGA in your heart and you're watching these hearings and you're watching the interviews that the documentary filmmaker provide to the committee, you are going to be inspired. You're not going to be frightened. You're not going to think, oh, my God, I did the wrong thing. Look at this. Congress is on the verge of denouncing what I'm doing. You're going to say, hey, I'm brave just like those deranged lunatics who attacked the Capitol, I can do that too. So I am very concerned about that. And this in turn gets back and all these issues are interconnected. The one thing that saved that day from just being a total bloodbath was they didn't carry weapons or fire weapons. I mean, maybe one or two were fired here and there. But if the next time they try to do this, they come armed, we just better hope that the National Guard is called out a lot more quickly and these people are put down before they get anywhere near the Capitol or any other place of government. I remember reading that the Proud Boys were staging um, supplies of arms, that they were hoping to, to get control of the Capitol and then come in uh, with an armed force uh, once they took possession. Um, am I right? Um, yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't know what the truth is, but yeah, I've heard those stories too, that, uh, you know, so, in some places there were pretty explicit plans for the coup that they were trying to enact. And you may recall also, and this has come out a little bit in the hearings, and I'm sure it's going to come out more, before January 6th, Trump was shooting his mouth off, and this is what got Barr you know, to say uh, it, what you're saying is bullshit, or it's part of what got him to say that. Trump was talking about declaring martial law as a way of establishing control, stopping the certification uh, in Congress. And basically, I don't know what, I think not, not doing, more, doing more than a recount, actually having elections again in states in which Trump had lost. So again, this is classic fascism. Yeah, it would have put it would have put the it would have put the military in in a position to choose who they were going to listen to, Joe Biden or or Donald Trump. Right, and I remember at the time that's a very very good point that it's a, when the political situation is in such a tenuous and dangerous perilous position, it falls on the military to stand up for democracy, and I remember thinking in that January. Uh, that, you know, I don't know Millie from Adam. 
but the impression I had is that he would not go along with what Trump ordered. Had Trump ordered, you know, uh, the army to come out in Washington, to the, the federal troops to go into states and watch over a new election, which was going to be totally stacked in Trump's yeah. favor. So, you know, I think that uh, we came close, but yeah, I think the military then was something that was on the side of justice and democracy. Did that, um, did the Thursday night um, uh, hearing, did it, was there anything in there uh, kicking this off that you wish they had put in that you didn't see that night? Yeah, but, you know, there's still time for it. But I was glad to see the statement that William Barr made. I would like to see William Barr in one of those seats. Yes. And, you know, aggressively question as to exactly what happened. Because I do want to say another thing about William Barr. Yes, he did the right thing by not going along with Trump. Yes, he did the right thing by telling Trump his idea that he had won the election was nonsense. But you know what William Barr did not do? He didn't make a public statement. Yeah. You know, he, sh he should have, when he resigned, had a press conference and told the United States and the world exactly why he was resigning. So I, I'd like to see him up there on the stand and questioned. And, I, and I'll tell you something else. Again, there wasn't time on, on Thursday night, but I'm sure we won't see Mitch McConnell in, in that seat. But I think he should be questioned also, because as you and I were just talking, what's going on with him? You know, what's up with Mitch McConnell? He comes out, you know, right after the event and correctly identifies Trump as the culprit and villain that he is. And then uh, within a couple of days, uh, you know, yeah. and he, all right, he's, uh, he's going to think about the impeachment. He voted not to convict Trump twice, you know, both times. The first time was, was the Mueller report. The second time was the attack on the Capitol. I think he should be cross-examined. You know, what, what's up with him? I mean, his, then there's the whole thing. His wife resigned. She was trying to get, you know, that yes. amendment. But, right, it was the 26th Amendment. I don't even remember, 25th Amendment. Um, that also is an interesting story. And that's also another example. Why did Pence stop that from happening? Uh, you know, he, he lost his courage. He didn't think there were enough votes. A majority of the cabinet would have voted. To, to get rid of Trump, I was I was astonished on on the actual January sixth, watching you know the electoral vote count, which is normally just a boring thing, <laughs> you know that you just you know it's on C-SPAN and it's just something you can either watch that you know or Judge Judy you know <laughs> some of the channels like not something I mean it's just the wheels of the government turned slowly and boring and this was just a just a normal sort of thing. This is like the most exciting electoral college. Of, you know, counting in the history of the of the country, um, what what went down, and then you have uh, coming back from from the insurrection, coming back. You know, you know, what was it? One o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. Um, his his supporters still defending him after the violence, after they're cleaning up. Um, you know. The defecation and you know the broken windows, the glass, you know the the hurt police officers, and they're still coming back saying that the election was stolen. I, that boggled my mind. That just yeah. doubled down. You know, boggled my mind. It boggled my mind too. And and again, you know these these two uh, cabinet members who resigned. One of them. Uh, Mitch McConnell's wife, the other is what, Betsy DeVos? Oh, yeah, the Secretary of Grand Education, Rogers. right? Yeah, Betsy they, DeVos, they, yes. Yeah, they both resigned. But again, how about speaking up? How, how about telling you, you're a cabinet member, you're supposed to be serving the American people. Don't you think it would be the right thing to do to tell the American people why you're resigning? I'm resigning because we have an insane president in office, I would have voted to remove him under that article, uh, 25, you know, 25th Amendment, Amendment yeah. 25, yeah. Uh, so, you know, but this is what 
part of the problem is, and this, by the way, is another reason why the hearings are so important. Too much of what has happened as a result of January 6th has been done under cover of darkness, and no one knows exactly who said what. And I think it is important to, to shine the light of publicity on as many people as possible who were involved in this. So again, to, to get back to your question, it's not so much what else I would have wanted to see in the opening hearing, which I thought was excellent. And, you know, it can't go on for too long. The public loses interest, it gets late at night, et cetera, et cetera. But what I would like to see, and I hope we do see in the hearings, this could be another one tomorrow morning, uh, is as many of these people who were in the Trump administration put in that seat and be questioned in, if necessary, an aggressive way so we get even a better idea of what actually happened. Uh, absolutely, absolutely agree. Um, yeah. Um, I wanted, I, I asked you this off mic before. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up now. Um, the police officer whose name escapes me right now, the blonde woman, um, Carolyn yeah. Edwards. Yes, yeah. Carolyn Edwards. Uh, she she's the one who took a blow to the head um, at the beginning of the insurrection. She was knocked unconscious. She regained consciousness, joined her fellow officers, and fought against the insurrectionists uh, for another couple of hours. And I believe the thing that did her in um, was being uh, sprayed in the face with the bear repellent, in, including. Um, uh, the officer who who eventually, uh, I believe, committed suicide afterwards. Um, Sicknick. Sicknick, yes, Sicknick. Yeah. Um, she's sitting there. I felt like, and this is the cynic in me talking here. And this is, I feel like they're playing. I feel like they're trying to draw Trump out. They put this on TV at eight o'clock at night, like it was a reality TV show, and they put a blonde woman in front of him. And Trump doesn't do well with women in leadership positions. And I, I felt like her story was compelling and riveting and, and I had not heard it before. Um, but I felt like they were trying to draw him out because he doesn't do well with women, <laughs> powerful women. Um, any thoughts on that, uh, Paul? Am I barking up the wrong tree here? Am I reading too much into this? No, I think I think you're right, but I think it's not just Trump. I think it's for the whole television audience. You, you know, we live in a country in which, despite all the progress that we've made, where finally, you know, I, I hope most Americans correctly see that men and women can do the same thing. You know, can do whatever job they want to do and they can be good at any job but we still come from a tradition in, in which the military and the police are usually men so i thought it was very effective in the testimony to have up there in prime time a, a woman tell her story and it's not that we don't care about what happens if a man, you know, gets knocked down and a man comes back and keeps, you know, fighting. And as she was saying, it was really poignant, effective testimony. She was fighting for hours and hours. And as she said, she wasn't trained for that. You know, she was trained in police work. You know, we, we know from what we know, police work, what we see on television, police don't fight for hours and hours in no. television shows, and they don't in reality either. And I, I think it, it made all of those actions, which would have been heroic in any case, all the more powerful to have a woman say that. Uh, also, she is highly articulate. I was very impressed with her testimony. You know, she just basically put it out there the way it was. And yeah, it probably did unnerve Trump to see someone who had blonde hair like his daughter. Or, or just uh, a, like another, like like a, a reporter, you know, or someone he would just treat as an object, not as a person. And here she is, granddaughter of a Korean War hero, brave, um, you know, just, just doing, doing, doing work that you and I could never do in our best day. <laughs> That's exactly right. Just, just yeah, yeah. amazing, and every, putting everything on the line to protect those people who have nothing. 
who half of them up there had nothing but disdain for her, who didn't care what happened, who didn't, who could care less. You know, are, are, are they coming on, on TV? Are they tweeting to her bravery now? Are they talking about her bravery now? They're silent, you know? No, that, that's completely right. By the way, I just mentioned, as you know, you know, and, uh, you know, I assume maybe some of our listeners know I'm a professor at Fordham University. And I remember pretty early on, so we're talking about maybe 20 years ago, I've been at Fordham for about 25 years. One day, and I've never told the story before, but it's uh, pertinent to this, I get a call from the FBI. I say, what? You know, what do they do wrong now? And they said, no, no, you didn't do anything this wrong. This isn't about this Carvel ice cream store incident. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, that was the NYPD. Okay. <laughs> Who, frankly, sorry, NYPD, <laughs> you don't hold the candle to the FBI, but, at least in my estimation, but uh, in terms of the personal experiences I've had. But the... I get a call from, the, from someone says the FBI, and I didn't even know if the person was telling the truth. But to make a long story short, this person was asking for a recommendation, an evaluation from me, because one of my students was applying to be an FBI agent. Wow. And But the denouement of the story is the student was a woman. And I remember she was a rather slight woman at that but I remember, I, you know, I think in time, you know, I need to get more with it. I need to wake up. Yeah, you know, the FBI has women agents. And we now know that very well. If you watch FBI on television, they have some really excellent women agents. But the, the point is, I think America is, is still, to some extent, behind. I don't mean in favor of it, but they haven't yet caught up. To, to oh yeah, that. or perceptions, our perceptions, and 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 you know, um, you know, we're 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 both older white men, you know, in our you know who who came up in the '60s and '70s, and um, we just need to be realistic, <laughs> you oh, know, because because that that, that, that that officer, you know, yeah, uh, what you, what Paul isn't saying about this agent is that her name was Dana Scully. Um, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> She was my student at Fordham. We'll reveal this for the first time. Yeah. I gave her, I, I told her a little bit about science fiction. He so told her the truth was it. out there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, so so it, 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 it's, it's still gut-wrenching. It's incredible. Um, it's, it's, it's tremendously upsetting. Um, at one part of me feels like and I, and I say this with the, the with a huge amount of you know being ultimately pessimistic and you know I'm seeing the worst possible outcome here that um, Trump wins in 2024 all this goes away and they start hauling off people who are registered Democrats to camps <laughs> uh, I mean am I am I am I like out in left field here I mean is 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 you know just well, the anger the anger that I've encountered both online and in person when people see that I'm a Democrat or see that I supported Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden um, you know that I that I want universal health care that I want these things the, the 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 anger and the hatred towards me it seems um, at that level. <laughs> You know, it just, I, I, I'm probably overdoing it here, but uh, I wanted to throw that at you before we run out of time. I'm very concerned about that, too. You know, the only comfort that I take is as of now, and this is not likely to change, a majority of Americans don't feel that way. Now, a horrifyingly large minority do feel that way, whether it's 38%, 40%, 42%. That is horrendous and frightening. But I think at this moment, and if you look at the results of various elections, one of the things I took 
uh, hard from is there were a recent, there have been a recent series of primaries, and I can't remember whether it was last Tuesday or the Tuesday prior to that, but I saw a report on MSNBC that there were four congressional seats in which the Republican who was opposing the Republican who got Trump's endorsement, the Republicans who did not endorse Trump in four states won over those who did. So that's the kind of thing that gives me some hope. But I think we're in a very dangerous situation. Uh, you may have heard Lindsey Graham, and I think I heard some other senator, John Kennedy, no relation, saying the same thing in the last couple of days about these very hearings that we're talking about. And you know what Lindsey Graham said is, and I won't bother to try to mimic his southern accent, I'll just do it in my New York accent. What, what he said was, you know, the, the Democrats want to distract the country about the horrible inflation, this huge uh, increase in gas prices that Americans are so upset about. That's what these hearings are all about. Now, I do think that X number of stupid people, unfortunately, there's no other word for them, think the high gas prices are more important than what Trump tried to do when he lost the election in 2020. Uh, and I, I just hope those people stay in a minority. And all I can say is, in order for our democracy to be safeguarded, and I know it's easy for me to say, but Biden and the Democrats have to even do a better job at keeping inflation down. Again, I'm no expert when it comes to this. You know, release more gas reserves, whatever they need to do, because, you know, these problems aren't going away. And there are, unfortunately, millions of Americans who, when they go to the voting booth, you know, they're not fascists per se, but they'll vote for a party that says we have the solution to the higher gas prices. And God help us if that party is the Republican Party. Hitler got the trains to run on time is what you're saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, I would add to that, we, we, I'm going to say we have about seven minutes left uh, before we go to sports. Um, I would add to that that when people talk about the high gas prices and who is responsible um, and that we should be talking about that, that the government does many things at the same time. And if the Republicans are so concerned about high gas prices, then by all means they should open up a committee investigation and bring in the CEOs of all the major oil corporations and talk to them the way they talked about uh, talked to them when uh, the British Petroleum uh, drilling rig exploded in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> and I seem to remember, uh, you, can, you can jump in because my memory might be failing me here, but I seem to remember Republicans when they brought in the BP executives um, would kowtow and apologize to the BP executives for even being brought in front of Congress to explain what happened. Um, I believe I have that story right. It's, it's, it's a little dusty in my memory. Um, no, you, you do have it right. So, so, so yeah. let's bring them on. Let's let's bring it on. If anybody wants to talk about gas prices, by all means, we have a government with with a lot of people in it that do a lot of things very very well. We went to the moon, okay? We the Russians did not beat us, <laughs> according right. to tie back into what we talked about at the beginning. We really got there first. We can do two things at once. We can investigate January sixth and bring in oil company CEOs in front of Congress and, and interrogate them as well. So um, let's do that. And I don't think the Republicans actually want to do that. <laughs> no, I think they don't. They just want to keep riding. They're happy that uh, gas prices are so high because it's giving them a great issue to campaign on. And look, I mean, it's a complicated issue. More cars should be hybrids. More cars should be electric only. But again, it's complicated because you and I have talked about Elon Musk. If you're talking about electric cars, Tesla, not Twitter, is how he made his yep. money. And, you know, uh, you can criticize Elon Musk all you want, and I criticize him plenty when it comes to what he is trying to do or was trying to do, who knows anymore, with Twitter. But he deserves credit for the good work he's done with uh, Tesla. The only thing different is he should figure out a way of lowering the prices 
so more people can afford them so that there won't be such a demand for gas in this situation. We have to mention it's Vlad- it is Vladimir Putin's fault. Mm-hmm. You know, until he started the war in Ukraine. We all know about that. But the person who pulls up and they have to pay five, six dollars a gallon, they they can't get angry at Putin because they have no control over Putin. So what's the only control they have? Well, they're going to get angry at whoever it is who's in Congress, who's ever in the White House, who failed to keep those prices down. And somehow their twisted belief means that once Trump is president again, gas is going to go down to, what, 75 cents a gallon because the president controls the price of gas? Or will they just ignore it then? No, Trump doesn't have to lower the price because if anyone complains about the price in this fascist Trumpian state, he'll send out the National Guard to arrest them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, wow, it's been a it's it's this has been like the fastest hour on radio, Paul. <laughs> hey, I, I always enjoy these conversations. I, I so appreciate you coming on. These things sometimes pop out of nowhere, and and I I, I like to grab them when I can. Um, again, uh, point people uh, briefly at at your online presence and where to find your blogs and whatnot. Okay, well, one of my main blogs is Infinite. Regress, R-E-G-R-E-S-S, Paul Levinson's Infinite Regress. That's where you'll find all of my reviews of these great science fiction television shows, two of which, by the way, I should mention, are going to be on uh, tonight. In fact, I'll be reviewing them very shortly. One, The Time Traveler's Wife. Yes. And the other, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Two very different, two excellent shows. And again, you can find all my music on Spotify, Apple Music, any place that you listen to music, search on my name. You can read my story. It's real life. Just search on that. And when you see there's a site, Vocal, V-O-C-A-L, you can read the story there free of charge. And you'll be reading the first chapter of what I hope in the next few months will be my novel. Last but not least, follow me on Twitter at Paul Lev. P-A-U-L-L-E-V. I always, uh, well, not always, I almost always uh, follow people back who follow me. Uh, and, um, and follow yeah, Paul I, before Elon Musk kicks him off Twitter. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I always mention Twitter. This gives Captain Phil another chance to make his Elon Musk joke. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I can't, yes. I can't leave it alone. Yeah, I don't tweet that much because I want to stay off his radar. You know, he'll 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 he'll, he'll shoot a he'll shoot a Tesla at me on a rocket. You know, I, I, I could use the publicity. I'm hoping to anger him so he makes some kind of statement about me. Well, we are about ninety seconds away from going back to CR One. So, Paul, I thank you again. Have a great summer, and I will be watching with you tomorrow morning at ten o'clock. I'm going to set the alarm. I'm going to get up. It is must see TV, and I hope. Everyone out there who's listening will be able to join me or at least set the DVR or watch it on however you can watch it um, um, later in the day if you're at work. Thank you again, Paul. My pleasure, Phil. Anytime. The Light on Light Through podcast. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I'll be back here soon with more of my reviews. Let's see a lot of great science fiction on television coming up in the days ahead. Let's see, going over what we have coming up. Well, of course, there'll be Star Trek Strange New Worlds, the new episode of that, the new episode of The Orville, the new episode of For All Mankind, the alternate history story about the moon landing and everything after, and then The Man Who Fell to Earth, and then... The Time Traveler's Wife, which will be what I hope is just the season finale of that series. Just six episodes. However, it's not yet been renewed on HBO, so who knows? In any case, in the meantime, stay safe, stay sound, and continue doing whatever you can to help those people in Ukraine fight off the fascist invasion of Putin's hordes into their country, Ukraine.
Athens, 2042 AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left, again, into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled up with a good book says, Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries.